everybody. You missed the good UConn football talk. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream. The host muted my mic, it says. Can people hear me? Check, check. I can hear you just fine, sir. All right. Let's assume that let's assume everybody can hear me. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to uh, Football Outsiders live stream for Thursday, November 11th. I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders. Thank you all for joining us on the live stream, whether you're watching it on Twitch or YouTube or Twitter or in the little widget in the corner of our website. Uh, my guests today to talk about Week 10 in the NFL, we've got my man Mike Tanier, as always. We've got Brian Knowles, a Loser League major domo and co-writer of Scramble for the Ball. And a special guest this week, David Behrman from ESPN Chalk, my editor over ESPN Chalk. As you can see from David's background, we're going to be talking a little bit about Thursday night football. But before we do, we should react to the latest news in the NFL. And I want to get people's take on Cam Newton's return to the Carolina Panthers. Well, I'm wearing my Cam hat, so I guess I'll go first. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, uh, you know, they need a quarterback right now. Sam Darnold out indefinitely. P.J. Walker tends to get hurt when he plays uh, for any long period of time. If you can explain to me the plan in Carolina, they're spending a lot of money right now on Cam. They have a lot of money sunk into Darnold. I think they have some leftover money sunk into Bridgewater from before. Um, and the, the impression I get is that this is a decision that was made at the Tepper level, the ownership level, and is being handed to Matt Rule. Not so much like Matt Rule is like, man, I want to salvage this season by any means necessary, get me Cam. And so there's a lot of elements to this. It doesn't matter. Anything. The Panthers aren't going anywhere this year. So it doesn't matter on that front. Yeah, I wonder whether the owner looks at the NFC wildcard smush and goes, all right, if we had better quarterback, you know, we can make a run. We have a good enough defense, not realizing his defense has declined a little bit in a few weeks and that the Carolina schedule gets much harder from here on out. Aren't they the ones I actually I actually think that's exactly what it is. You look at the NFC, and unlike the AFC, where almost everybody except for the Dolphins are still around, you have five teams that are in. Let, let's let's put the Rams, the Cardinals, the Cowboys, and the Packers into the playoffs. And you have those final two spots, and it looks like the Saints have the edge. And right now the, the Atlanta Falcons are your seven seed. So if the Atlanta Falcons, who nobody believes in your seven seed, the Panthers have just as good of a shot. But you're right, Aaron, that schedule early was really, really easy. It gets significantly harder. If you go with P.J. Walker, you're basically throwing the season away. So I think that they're thinking they got a chance to at least – make the big dance and see what happens. I, I don't get the uh, the amount of money they're throwing at him, and I think there were other quarterbacks out there that could have been had, but, hey, he's someone that's familiar with the organization, so give it a shot. Bills, Buccaneers, Saints, Buccaneers are the final four games of the season. Yeah. They're not running that gauntlet with Cam Newton. They're not running it with Matt Barkley, and they're not running it with P.J. Walker. Yeah. yeah. Bingy Newton is the perfect in the Venn diagram. It makes a lot of sense. And the most hilarious outcome possible because the whole <laughs> machine started with no, we're gonna, we're gonna get rid of Newton, we're gonna start a fresh year, we're gonna have my new ideas, and now they've come back to him because of just everything else they've tried has failed. You you said you don't know what the plan is. I think the plan is in part of to make people forget that they've got twenty million dollars in uh, Sam Darnold for next season, and they've given up uh, second round picks and stuff for him. This this at least changes the news story for a week. Oh, wow. Right. I still don't know what they do next year because this is a, a one-year contract for Cam Newton. He becomes a free agent again. So if he does play well, he can easily go elsewhere. And otherwise, why would they spend the money to resign them since they have all this money wrapped up in Darnold now? They're going to have to Osweiler him. They're going to try to package him with some picks and send him somewhere else if they want to get him, get out of Darnold's contract. What's Cam have left, guys, for real? You, you probably watched him more than I did, Aaron. Ryan. Well, the big question about Cam from last year is how much was he affected by having COVID? Because remember, he looked really good for the first three weeks of the season. Mm -hmm. And then he missed that game with Kansas City because of COVID. And then he came back and it feel, felt like all of his passes were bouncing everywhere. Right. So, um, I mean, I think he, he apparently looked good in camp. And they went with Mac Jones because they felt Mac Jones also looked good and they couldn't keep Cam as the backup because of, you know, locker, they wanted to make the statement that this was Mac Jones's team now. But it's not that camp was, Cam was bad in the preseason or anything like that. Right. 
So, I mean, I think what he has left, he's not going to go back to being Cam Newton of 2015, but he should be better than P.J. Walker and Matt Barkley. <laughs> that seems fair. That seems fair. That's, not a high bar. <laughs> no. Right, right. That's what that's what the Panthers, who were 3-0, and we were t- singing their praises. That's what they've been reduced to as of mid-November. Yeah, I mean, well, their defense was playing really well. But even at the time, we said, well, you know, the problem with this is we're not including opponent adjustments yet right. and look at the easy teams that they played early on. And so, you know, we did have that asterisk on their 3-0 and start that I think everybody was pretty aware of. Yeah. Um. All right, let's talk about Thursday night football because we've got David here. Baltimore at Miami. Uh, just to let you give you the playoff odds and how much this game impacts playoff odds, it's not much for Miami because there isn't much. Uh, Baltimore makes the playoffs 93% of simulations when they win, 78% when they lose. Uh, Miami, 4% when they win, 0% when they lose. I mean, I'd, be first, zero, Aaron, zero. I'd be the first to tell you that there's something wrong with your system if the Dolphins have a 4% chance to make the playoffs. <laughs> hey, man, wacky stuff happens all the time in the NFL. If they win this game, they have a 4% chance of making the playoffs. So we've got you on. What happened this year? Like, other than Tua Tagovailoa getting injured and missing half the season, which we can talk about just how big is the difference between Tagovailoa and Brissett. Clearly, that's not the only problem that this team has had this year. No, I think if you if you look at last year's team that that won ten games and everyone's like, well, ten games with a with a rookie quarterback playing part of the year, and then you went and got them weapons, so they're automatically a playoff team. I think if you looked at the stats, and I think Aaron, you wrote this in in one of your preview guides, the ten wins was was, was kind of a false narrative because the defense played well above their means, leading the league in takeaways. David Howard, who should have won Defensive Player of the Year with ten interceptions. Mm-hmm. You knew there was going to be a little bit of regression there on the defense, but what you didn't expect is for it to go all the way the other direction where they'd be 30th against the run, which is going to be a problem tonight versus the Ravens, that their secondary wouldn't be anywhere near as close to good as they were last year. And the big thing, Aaron, is they never really solved the offensive line problem. Everyone thought you draft two guys in the first two rounds each of the last two years, giving yourself four young offensive linemen that in the next year, they would all be able to step up and do good to protect Tua, and they're not. Now, I don't know if Chris Greer and the regime went 0 for 4 in these in these lineman picks, and, and that's pretty bad if you, if you go 0 for 4 and getting guys in the first two rounds, you have a talent evaluation problem, or if the problem is at the coaching level where they're just not coaching these guys up. All I know is Tua has about a half a second to throw the ball. He got weapons in the offseason, but none of those weapons have been on the field at the same time. The amount of plays that, that – Tua has been on the field with Waddle, Parker, Gasecki, and Fuller has been zero. They've never all been well, on Fuller's the field. Fuller's basically not played. Huh? I mean, Fuller has basically not played at all. Right. He hasn't, and Tua has missed half the season. Parker missed a couple of games, and Gasecki's the only one who stayed healthy. So the decision to whatever they did on the offensive line that hasn't worked, they ignored the running back position when everybody thought they could go out there and get Najee Harris or Javante Williams. Instead, they stayed with Gasecki and went and brought in Malcolm Brown, which obviously hasn't worked out, bringing in Fuller, who's injured all the time, and basically using Waddle as a Wes Welker instead of a downfield threat. They've gotten nothing done on offense. Now, Tua getting hurt obviously stopped every momentum that they had from the New England win that kind of disappeared once he got hurt versus Buffalo. But you, you got to start questioning whether this regime going and bringing Brissett in there but not letting Brissett throw the ball. If you watch the Raiders game or you watch the Bills game or you watch any other games, they waited until they were down two touchdowns before they started throwing the ball downfield. The Colts game's another one where a game the Dolphins could have won if they didn't wait until the 10-minute mark of the fourth quarter to start actually throwing the ball downfield. Brissett moved them versus the Colts at the end. He moved them versus the Raiders at the end. And there's been other signs of the fact that they can do stuff. They don't trust him. The line's a disaster, and the weapons aren't what they thought they'd be. Add that to the fact that the defense has regressed and things that you don't really think about. The Dolphins had a great place kicker last year in Jason Sanders and a great punter. Neither one of them are playing well this year as well. So defense is worse. Special teams is worse. Offense hasn't gotten going, and all of a sudden you're 2-7. and Yeah, I'm the leader of the Tua isn't as bad as people think club, but – uh, that doesn't take care of any of the other problems. It's interesting because I will I will note our numbers have a d- bigger difference between Tua and Brissett than the ESPN QBR numbers. I do think some of that is rushing value, right? Because I'm looking only at passing. 
when I look at the difference between the two of them, and Brissett's got more rushing value, certainly. But that is sort of interesting. The ESPN QBR numbers have them pretty close, pretty close together. So what's your opinion about Tua for the long term? Like, do you feel like I mean, it feels like the organization has given up on him. Certainly that's the sort of underlying undercurrent beneath all of the Deshaun Watson rumors. Yeah, and you don't know how much of those rumors were accurate and how much were not. Now, the team did admit they did their due diligence, which you need to do when you have, you know, an all-pro potential Hall of Fame quarterback sitting there ready for the taking. But the good news is they didn't make the trade. And I don't know if they were thinking about making it to try to save face because what the GM and the coach have done hasn't been great. And they're looking at a a losing season where they're going to have to be evaluated into the year, whether they keep their jobs or not. Maybe trading for Watson was the answer. I firmly believe that I I ignored all that noise. To, To answer your original question, I'm still a believer in Tua. And I'll tell you why. You have not seen what he's capable of because you you just haven't based on the injuries, which is a concern. I'm not going to deny that. We don't know if he's fully been recouped from the hip injury. Obviously, he's got the finger injury, the rib injuries. Him being injury prone is a definite question mark when I spent, you know, the better half of my life watching Dan Marino never miss any games until he tore his Achilles. So that is a question mark. But the guy has still played what is still equated to less than one season. He still hasn't finished 16 games, partially because of injuries and partially because they didn't start him right off the bat. I'd like to see him in a full season with his weapons and with coaches that believe in him to see what he can do. Cause you know how this works out Tua goes to another team. All of a sudden he becomes an all pro because that's what everybody who leaves the dolphins does. I'd like to give him the chance. I'm not someone who breaks up with someone after a date and a half, which is what they're trying to do. I think you've got to give him a chance, but I will admit it's getting harder and harder and harder to believe and defend because I would tell you my confidence level of what I thought when they drafted Tua and what I've seen so far is not the same but I'm not on the page of dump him and go get someone else because he has not had the opportunity to shine yet is, is really where I'm at. All right. It's like, there's two elements to this. There's what we want and what we think the dolphins are going to do because all of us can say, he's like, you know, he needs a full opportunity here with good coaching, but then there's the reality is it doesn't seem like there's a plan to give him that. Correct. And you know what? He's on, there's two co two, two co-offensive coordinators, yeah. neither of which were the offense coordinator yeah. last year. So he's already had three different offense coordinators and you know, whatever's happening this year isn't working. And they're going to probably be on the next one next year, yeah. depending on what they do with the rest of the staff. I just don't think he's been given a fair shot yet. And it doesn't help that half the games he's played this year have been under the cloud of, if I don't play well, Deshaun Watson's going to come replace me, which is never easy for a 22 year old kid to, to be having a, above his shoulder. Can you explain the two coordinator system to me? Because I still don't understand this. All I can say is I don't think Brian Flores wanted to pick either one of them, so he went with both of them, which to me was was a cop out because neither one of them are, are doing a good job. I, you know, he he subscribes to the to the Bill Belichick um, way of not telling anybody anything. So we don't know who the quarterback is tonight, and we also don't know who's calling the plays. We don't know really what's going on up in the press box. But all I do know is. They, they, their offenses run very, very similar to what I do with my seven-year-old flag football team. It's dink, dunk, dink, dunk, dink, dunk. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, you don't go ahead and, and use a first-round draft pick on a speedy wide receiver and try to build around a, a new quarterback by dinking and dunking in the NFL. And, and I'm serious. I've watched film of the flag football team, and I've watched film of the Dolphins, and there's not much difference. You got seven-year-olds running the RPO down there? I actually started the RPO two weeks ago. Yep, yep. And there's a, there's a video out there on Twitter that I posted at my Twitter handle of practicing the RPO with my kid out there. So uh, we do have the championship game in, in 48 hours, so we'll see how that works uh, with the RPO. Good luck. Thank you. Uh, so to talk about this game specifically, um, some interesting uh, splits that I found. The Baltimore offense is dead last in the NFL on third and long. So I thought that was interesting because there's been a lot of talk about Lamar Jackson passing more this year and having more success passing. And in situations where passing is specifically prescribed by the situation, for example, that the Ravens have been really good when they're like down by two scores. Right. But I will say that that's one situation where passing is prescribed where the Ravens have not been particularly good this year. Um Special teams is a huge gap between these teams. The Ravens, you know, obviously we saw last week with the Ravens that even really good special teams can have a miscue. But, I mean, overall, the Ravens are second and the Dolphins are 28th. So, I mean, that's definitely something that's not in the Dolphins' favor. 
No, and, and it, you talk about the third down issue with third and long. They're facing the, the the best team for that. The Dolphins are 31st in the NFL in stopping third down conversions. They can't get off the field, and that's what's maddening about watching this defense compared to last year when they led the NFL in third down stoppage, which is stunning that you go from first to 31st in one season with not much transition in terms of, of, of ta- in terms of the players. And they're 30th against the run, which Ravens, number one, with running at 161 yards per game and leading the NFL in time of possession at over 33 minutes while the Dolphins are near the bottom. So to me, it's a mismatch where if the Ravens continue to run successfully against a defense that can't stop the run, they're going to be on the field the whole game. It's just a matter of whether Baltimore turns those possessions into field goals or touchdowns because at the end of the day, the Dolphins aren't going to be able to stop them and they're not the team that you want to be down two touchdowns early because they just don't have the weapons to do so. Joey Suck says, can to a throw downfield? Well, I mean, I think the answer is we don't really know. Like, <laughs> they've got to do it before we know whether he can have success. And I'm right. I, I agree with you that you're right that Waddle is being used as a little screens and dunks guy. He is, and and they have not aired it out downfield. And, yes, Will Fuller's only played a couple of plays, but you have Parker, you have Waddle. Gusecki's supposed to be the guy that goes down the middle of the field, and he's had a wonderful year. It's one of the guys that actually has done positive things for Miami. And they got running backs that can catch the ball out of the backfield. So I have absolutely no idea why they have not tried to stretch the field because when they have, as you saw in the Raiders game out in Las Vegas, one that I was happy enough to attend, they did throw the ball downfield and they did have success, but they waited until the fourth quarter to do so. Instead, they were just throwing sideline passes in the end zone, which amounted to nothing. Hitchhiker's Pie says, do you think the Dolphins could have experienced late career Tannehill renaissance or did he need to go elsewhere or specifically Tennessee to become better? There's a huge difference between what he has right now in Tennessee and what he had in Miami. Mainly, he has a guy named Derrick Henry back there and a great offensive line and pretty much a coaching staff that's using Tannehill the way he's supposed to be used. Yeah, Adam I feel Gase, strongly that it's the coaching staff and the scheme. I mean, because le- it, it hasn't been as good this year as it was last year as far as the offense for Tennessee. But Arthur Smith was just a fantastic play designer. It was. Fantastic play design, fantastic organization. What Adam Gase has, has not been able to accomplish as an NFL coach in Miami and in New York with what he's had with Tannehill and Darnold, you've seen he's wasted both guys. I don't know if Tannehill could have been successful under Gase. Could have he been successful under Flores in the right scheme? Maybe. Um, but we also don't really know what kind of scheme Flores is running because it's not working in Miami with what they have. But good for Tannehill. Um, and I fear if they get rid of Tua, the same thing's going to happen. That Tua will shine elsewhere. Um, so let's talk about thoughts about this game and picking it. Uh, the spread is seven and a half. I believe Baltimore by seven and a half. Yep. Uh, what do you guys think, Mike? We'll start with you. Well, you know, I had to take some kind of goofy early game prop, and I took the uh, Dolphins in the first quarter plus one and a half. I believe I got plus two and a half. I'd have to look that up early on because the Ravens have been slow starters. Dolphins have been good in the scripted opening drives, especially with Tua out there. That said, seven and a half is not enough for me to be confident in the Dolphins in this game. So I'm, I, if I had to put money on the final, I would lean towards the Ravens. Yeah, I'd be more comfortable with the Ravens if they were minus seven as opposed to seven and a half. That extra half point is, is awkward for me. But I yeah. do really like the Dolphins in the first quarter. The the Ravens, as you said, are the they're 21st offensively in the first quarter DVOA. So mm-hmm. this 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 game that might be interesting for an hour and then, uh, you know, natural things will happen. Right, right. I was able to grab the, the Ravens at minus seven on Sunday as soon as it came out. I have, I have a, a a habit of looking at the lines right away and trying to find value, so I'm glad I got the seven. Yeah. I do agree with both of you guys, especially if Tua plays. The Dolphins have been very, very good at scripting the first drive, and they've scored a four out of the six games that Tua started in terms of, of that first drive touchdown. So one of the plays, honestly, Aaron, would be to me, if the Dolphins do do that, then go ahead and jump on Baltimore live because then you won't have seven yeah. and a half or seven anymore. You might be able to get them at four and a half or five. So if the Dolphins do jump out to that lead, monitor because if there's one team that has not made any adjustments whatsoever at any point in the game, it is the Miami Dolphins. You see what they do in the first drive, and then you see nothing else for a long time afterwards. I like. That. I feel like the vibe on this has very much been Brissett starting yeah. As far as what the Dolphins yep. have said. And so but with that, I, I like the Ravens minus seven and a half if I had to pick this game, definitely. Right. Right. Tua's pinky has to be or finger has to be hundred percent totally perfect for him to come back. Which is another one of those things that says 
boy, they really are looking for an opportunity to do something else. Yeah. So David, uh, you know, David does picks as part of the ESPN Best Bets article that I also contribute to every week. You probably have seen me tweet that out, uh, seen it on ESPN Shock. So I figured we'd ask David what his other favorite picks of this week are. We can hit those a little bit. Sure. The ones that are going to be in the column tomorrow that will be out on Chalk. Uh, obviously, the Ravens pick is out today. Uh, I'm on the Patriots minus one and a half. Um, I'm also on Tampa Bay minus nine and a half. I think that's a small number for Brady coming off a bye against a, a defense that can't stop anybody, and the, uh, especially against the pass. And obviously, the, the, uh, the, the, the Buccaneers have the number one pass offense in football. That's Tampa Bay minus nine and a half against Washington, I should point out. Correct. And um, and then and I actually like the Monday night game. I like the Rams at minus four at a good bounce back spot. I think that line is a little bit of an overreaction to what you saw last week against Tennessee, which if you really break it down, if Stafford has two bad passes other than that, it was a pretty fair, even game. Tennessee only amounted one drive outside of the 14 points that were gifted them. And I just don't think the 49ers are very good. You know, these are the same 49ers that got beat up pretty good by Colt McCoy. So I think Matt Stafford and the Rams will uh, will will do pretty well against that Niners defense. And you know, we, we obviously the Niners beat the Bears, which doesn't mean much. But then they got crushed by Colt McCoy, and then two weeks earlier at home versus Carson Wentz. So I like the Rams in that one. Well, we'll actually talk about the Rams and the 49ers in a little bit near the end of the show. Let's actually talk about Cleveland and New England because that's the most important game of the week for our playoff odds. Uh, Cleveland makes the playoffs 74% of the time when they win, 42% when they lose. New England, 73% with a win, 47% with a loss. A little less of a range for New England because New England has doesn't really have a very good chance of winning their division, whereas Cleveland's still in the division race as well as the wild card race. But um, I'm a little surprised. Tell me why you are interested in the Patriots in this one, because actually, despite being a Patriots fan, my inclination is to go the other way and to favor the Browns. I just think what the Patriots have done the last couple of weeks have shown that whatever type of rebuild that people thought New England was going to have to go through without Brady being there and the bad season they had last year. Aaron, I remember you being on Doug's podcast before the season started talking about how the Patriots are returning more on defense than anybody in the last 20 years due to the COVID and the opt-outs and the injuries from the year before. And that is starting to show up. They're fifth in your DVOA rankings. They're ninth in terms of total yards. And if you look what they did last week against Carolina, for all intents and purposes, they pitched the shutout. Both of Carolina's field goals came on New England turnovers where they didn't even get a first down, went three out and kicked the field goal. So the defense is playing extremely well. And you look at what they've done in the last six weeks. And, and Aaron, this is painful for me to even talk about as a Dolphins fan that, you know, we were in a 20-year rebuild while the Patriots seem to have done it in a year and a half, but they had road wins against the Chargers and the Panthers, a blowout went over the Jets, and nearly locked, knocked off Dallas and Tampa, each of which could have gone the other way. So you have a Patriots team that everyone thought was going to be below 500 that is sitting there only a half a game behind the Bills. Now, they probably won't win that division. The Bills are the better team, but I wouldn't count them out being a half game out. The other factor, which is what's pushing me towards New England, is we don't really know What's going to happen with Nick Chubb, who's currently going through the COVID protocols? Without Nick Chubb, I know Darren Johnson is pretty good. This is a force Baker to throw the ball game, and that's not the recipe for success against a Bill Pelichick defense. So I think the Patriots are just playing better ball right now. Obviously, the Browns looked very impressive against the Bengals last week. But without Nick Chubb, I really like the Patriots there. Now, of course, Chubb could get cleared in play, um, but he's obviously not practicing this week. And I just think the Patriots defense is that good. And I'll point out before asking Mike and Brian for their thoughts on this game, the Patriots also have a bit of a question mark at running back because both uh, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson are in the concussion protocol. So they don't know whether either or both or neither of those guys is going to get cleared for this game. And they may have to play with just Brandon Bolden and J.J. Taylor. Right. And the running backs don't matter crowd. I mean, that's great. But now you're down to really going from quality running backs to much lower quality running backs. Also style of running backs. Is the, you know, running J.J. Running. Taylor is the James White guy, right? He's the yeah. he's the pass-catching third down back. You know, yeah. there's a lot more similarity in style between Ernest Johnson and Nick Chubb than there is between, like, J.J. Taylor and uh, Harrison Stevenson. Yeah. And two teams that want to do ball control this week and won't have as, as enough – 
won't have their premium running backs out there. So if it's a 1%, 2% difference, whatever you think the percentage difference is between Nick Chubb and Dearness and between, you know, the starters, Damian and Ramondre and these guys, it's significant when the game is this close and these teams want to do, want to play a certain style. Um, I will point out also the Patriots defense, as David said, is up to fifth in DVOA, but that's mm-hmm. primarily because they've been really strong against the pass. Like yeah. despite the fact that Barmore is really coming on a defensive tackle, Mm-hmm. And their linebackers hit everybody like a freight train, which Derek Klassen, I'll point out, wrote about in the film room column today, which is a great article that everybody should read. Yes. They're still only 17th against the run. So I feel like if Cleveland can run, and I think they can with the Ernest Johnson, mm-hmm. like they should have success running. That's the best running game in the league with the best offensive line. Right. That offensive line hits back. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's the like, Patriots are going to hit them, and they're going to hit back. That's they're right. going to hit back, and it's going to be it's going to be fun. So that's what makes this a hard hard evaluation mm-hmm. for me because again, these are very close teams. My gut tells me that Bill Belichick is going to manage a field position and ball control game better than the guys in Cleveland, but I don't have a great feeling about that. Nor do we have enough health information to say, yeah, but one team could be with all of their best running backs, and the other team could. And forget again how good Dearness Johnson was against the Broncos. Then you have to go to the bench for this other guy behind him, and you're going to have a drop off, you know. So, so you have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in seeing what seeing what the Browns do defensively in this game. Uh, Jeremiah Osa Kamara is coming back, That's right? And uh, Joe Woods came out this morning and said that he's going to have his corners play more press man, be more aggressive going forward because that's working for them while playing off is just not working so well. So I'm going to be very interested to see how a more aggressive style is going to work with Mac Jones, who has gotten better, but is still more conservative passer overall. So I'll be, uh, that's going to be an the Patriots point. don't have guys that you really have to play off because you uh, worry yeah. about beating deep. Even Aguilar is not really exactly. that guy. No. no, I mean, he'll go deep, but he's not – you don't have to worry about him that much. So you can right. you can play press man against their guys, I think. You can press Kendrick Bourne. Yeah. It, so, it does seem uh, like we, we all might be on the same page of it being an under, considering you have conservative offense, time yeah. control, a lot of running, maybe low, towards an under. It's real low, it though. It is at 45 right now. Oh, it's not that low. Yeah. yeah it's, it's right about where I would come in on it. Uh, yeah. I have a, we're up to, by the way, we are up to Browns plus 2.5. It changed a point recently, so that might, might be some health news. Interesting. Oh, you're right. It is the Vegas Insider consensus. It's not just on your uh, app. You're looking at DraftKings, I think. Uh, the whole consensus, everybody's to two and a half at this point, except for FanDuel. I'm looking up Nick Chubb now. Yeah, the, as an hour ago, he had a chance to play. Is technically what they what they used there? Which yeah, yep. That's 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 the most recent update. Interesting. So um, I'll ask you guys about your pick, but I'll, I'll start. I, I honestly would go Browns plus two and a half. I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for my guys, but I think the Browns are the better team by DVOA. And I'm not as concerned about the Chubb injury because Johnson played so well against the Broncos. I mean, I, you know, I do think in the long run, it's very likely Chubb is better than Johnson, but so much of it based, based on their offensive line being so strong. So I would go with Browns plus two and a half. At two and a half, I feel a little more comfortable. I am waiting for the injury information at the running backs on this, which is not something I normally do at running back, but that's where it goes. So I believe in walkthrough tomorrow, I probably will will give two different picks based on who's healthy. But at two and a half, I feel like there's a little bit of leeway there. So, Aaron, I'm picking the Ravens versus the Dolphins, and you're picking the Browns versus the Patriots. Okay? <laughs> yeah, brute against our guys week. Yep. Well, obviously, I can change that when we talk about the Monday night game. But no, I'm on the I'm on the Patriots uh, uh, here. I, I think I just don't think that I know Deion Johnson was good the last time he came in, but I just don't think that the Browns are going to be able to keep winning without their stars in there. All right. And David, you went Patriots on this one, also. Correct. Yeah. At right. one and a half. I got it in at one and a half. Yeah, yeah which is better. We're, which yes. is, so we're split two and two. It's gonna be a close, it's gonna be a close game. Joey Suck says clearly neither of you are real fans. Well, I will say I'm making a pick here. I'm not actually putting any money on the Browns. Right, right. Um, we gotta it's content creation. We gotta make the picks, even if we I, yeah. I'm a real fan to the point where I know what I see when I see it, and you, you <laughs> never never gamble with your heart, always gamble with your brain. So and that 
that is a, a good guideline. So thank you, David. I want to thank David Behrman for joining us. He's going to take off now. Uh, don't forget to read ESPN Shock for lots of gambling uh, information and advice and our best bets column every week, which comes out on Friday. Uh, I mean, there's a Thursday one with the Thursday night game and a Monday one with the Monday night game, but most of it comes out on Friday every week. David and I are both giving picks in that every week. So thank check you guys that out. for having me and uh, enjoy the football this weekend. Thank you, man. Good luck. Good luck in the little uh, Pee Wee. Oh, yeah. Good luck in your little league final. Thank yes. you. <laughs> Pop Warner or whatever little league it is. Uh, I want to remind everybody, by the way, first of all, don't forget to subscribe to the show, whether you're watching us on a podcast, uh, whether you're watching us on YouTube or on Twitch, or you're listening to us afterwards on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Please don't be afraid to subscribe and post on social media and let your friends know that you enjoy the show because we would love to have more people watching, listening, asking us questions, and also do not forget the limited time offer to get FO Plus 99 cents a week for an annual subscription to FO Plus with all of our advanced metrics and splits, fantasy football research data, picks against the spread, and uh, more from Football Outsiders. Support the site, get lots of good data that will help you with fantasy and gambling. 99 cents a week, for FO Plus. Check it out by going to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. All right. So we hit Thursday night and 1 p.m. Let's talk about 4 p.m. games, starting with Seattle at Green Bay. Ooh. Seattle makes the playoffs in 58% of Sims when they win, 29% when they lose. Green Bay, 99% of playoffs uh, make the playoffs with a win. 92% if they lose. Uh, I mean, we were talking about the five teams that are basically in from the NFC at this point, which is the Rams and Cardinals, the Bucks and Cowboys, and the Packers. The Seahawks are in that smush of teams that's trying to get the sixth and seventh spots. Yeah. Uh, and I did this for my best bet of the week video uh, because you have to adjust. When you look at the ratings for these teams, you have to adjust for the idea that they played three games with Geno Smith for Seattle, right. one game with Jordan Love for the Packers. So if you take those games out, the Seahawks have a much better passing rating for this year. But I think it's safe to say it's safe to put Rodgers and Wilson on pretty equal footing, yeah. given what Rodgers did last year and the flukiness of that week one game. But they have the same run DVOA. And then the Packers' defense and special teams is equal to the Seahawks' defense and special teams. Hmm. So basically my feeling is these teams are pretty much equal in every way. This line should be a pick em, and instead it's Packers minus three. Well, it wasn't going to be a pick em when there's such a disparity in the records. Right. Uh, one thing I will say is, we, I mean, we got some injury updates, and you know, there's no, there's no Jer Alexander, there's no Zadarius Smith, not for the couple of weeks, the foreseeable future there. So you're still looking at this Packers team that's highly depleted, going up against the Seahawks team that you know is closer to full strength than than we've seen them in weeks. Right. I mean, obviously, look, Seattle is really, really weak. They are 32nd now in DVOA against short passes. Oh wow. They're strong against the run. They're strong against deep passes. They're really weak against short passes. So, you know, you can beat them with little slants and crosses to Devontae Adams. You know, that's a weakness. It, Wilson's going to have to keep up with the Green Bay offense. Right. And he can because he's got – I mean, they've got the weapons there. Both DK Metcalf and uh, Tyler Lockett are in, like, the top 15 in DR. And it's hard to be in the top 15 in DR when you have three games of Geno Smith on your resume, three and a half really. Yeah. So he's got those weapons there. And you can say, you know, short passes and slants and things like that to Devontae, but, you know – Aaron Rodgers wants to throw 65 yards with Devontae. They don't do as much over the middle to him. And then we have to go back to that. Who's the second? Who's the tertiary? Or Randall Compton having a pretty good year. But who, who else are they going to be going to in that Packers offense? Valdez Scantling is healthy now. So, I mean, he's really the deep threat guy. Yeah. But um, Green Bay also struggles to stop the run up front. They're 31st in adjusted line yards, mm. uh, particularly bad against left side runs. So we know Seattle does like to run a lot. I think it's Rashad Penny and Alex Collins at this point. Hitchhiker's Pie asks, how confident are you that Rodgers are actually playing? Rodgers is actually playing, I'd say, 90%. 90%. Yeah. 
yeah, he can't be cleared until Saturday. But uh, from you know, I, I I've listened to all those Joe Rogan interviews, and <laughs> I think he's I think he's gonna be ready. And and they said he, he doesn't need to practice to play. He's gonna be in there. I I I'd be very surprised if he's not playing today. Uh, playing this week. I mean, the, the, the fact that there's a 10% chance that he might not play is just more reason to go Seattle plus three. Right, right. I also have to wonder how healthy is Russell Wilson. I mean, he's coming back, but is that because he's 100% healthy? Because originally this was like a three to eight week injury. So yeah. how healthy is he it going to be? It sounds like he's pretty healthy. It, it yeah. doesn't sound like they're approving him early and he's not ready. It sounds like he's ready. But again, that's just one one more of the variables that are in this game because we gave me two quarterbacks who we haven't seen for a little bit coming back from health concerns. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, a Russell Wilson finger is different from a Tua finger in yes. terms of whether you come back with with a finger that's a little a little swollen or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, I feel like this is a very close matchup. I mean, I I just you know I like this pick of Seattle because of the three points because I just feel like these are two really. I feel like people are really sleeping on Seattle because, you know, they had some defensive lapses and then they had the three Geno Smith games, but Seattle is Seattle is a top 10 team in the league. That's how we had them before the season. That's how we have them in DVOA. Now uh, we have them 12th in DVOA, but if, you know, you account for Geno Smith, they're a top 10, uh, you know, top 10 team with Russell Wilson. I I don't think they're a top 10 team. I mean, I'd have to sit here and count on my fingers and toes, but no, I mean, early in the season when Russell Wilson was healthy, I'd be like, I don't see what DVOA is seeing. And I think DVOA was re reacting to a low number of plays by the Seattle offense. We had talked about that before. And it's like, I think the low number of plays were trying to tell us something, you know, when you're, when you get a 60 yard touchdown, that's great. But then you go three and out, three and out, you yeah. know, that's yeah. So, so yeah, the, I, I don't have a good feel of this game. If it was up at four, if I was in Seattle plus four, where I could get that field goal and I could get that seven to three push, you know, that 27, 23, 28, 24 push, I'd be happier with it. But like, I don't have, I don't have proof of concept. I, I saw the Packers go out there with Jordan Love and almost figure a way out of winning. I haven't seen that really with Seattle this year. Seattle, it feels like they, they are a top 10 team in terms of talent, but it doesn't always come together in the way you would expect when you have so many good players out there. Right. Some of that, you know, some of that is the we're going to stick with the running game despite what's going on. But it also just feels like something hasn't clicked there yet fully. Right. You see flashes of it. You see those 60-yard touchdowns. You see those big plays. And then they just have not played that for the entire 60 minutes yet. No, I think that could happen in, in, with the wild card position what it is. The Seahawks has a good chance of anyone of figuring it out and getting there. But I I, I kind of like the Packers in this one. I, I, I do, because I have not seen the Seahawks put everything together yet. Really, it was a good half, bad half, good half, bad half. Yeah. And that became sort of like bad halves because Geno Smith's a quarterback. And the defense did play better. But there was also a bomb cyclone game in there that was this, this, the, the, the runner-up bomb cyclone game. By the way, yeah. Joey Sucks asked, did you see the press release from Russell Wilson's doctor? It reminded me of uh, – uh, when Robert RG3 got healthy, and I guess it was Dr. James Andrews, whoever, he's superhuman. He's superhuman. You know, it's like no, no, they're, they're tremendous athletes. They take their rehab seriously. I'm glad he re responded like this. But sometimes the doctor wants to get his name in the press release. So he gingerbreads it a little bit, I think. I missed that doctor press release, I'm afraid. It was something. I was too busy looking for information from Aaron Rodgers' doctor. <laughs> so was he. He. Uh, so pick on this one. I'm going see I'm going Seattle plus three. Mm -hmm. Brian, you're going Green Bay minus three. Yep. I'll go Green Bay minus three too, but I'm staying away. I'm steering clear of this game. Steering yeah. clear. All right. Let's hit 4 p.m. Another 4 p.m. game. Minnesota at the Los Angeles Chargers. Mm. Uh football outsiders in DVOA Bay, Minnesota versus team that we haven't liked all year, the Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> Minnesota makes the playoffs in 46% of Sims when they win, 23% when they lose. Uh, Chargers, 75% when they win, 52% when they lose. You can probably tell from the fact that the current odds are basically halfway in between the green bar and the red bar on the graphics that this game DVOA sees as pretty 50-50. Yeah. It is a close game, especially from a matchup standpoint. Um, in that the, the Chargers have terrible run defense. Vikings, whether or not Dalvin Cook plays, which I think he's playing um, for whatever that's worth, 
uh, have a very good and are very uh, committed to their running game. And the special teams factor is a very big deal in this game because of the, the Chargers are still having kicker issues, et cetera. Uh, and one thing that I did spot during this is the Vikings have had one of the worst records in terms of hidden points, hidden special teams points, Yeah, which means other teams having a great kicker uh, success against them mostly. Uh, they've been victimized by that a lot. I think they're 31st in the league in, in, in hidden points. Uh, so this will be a chance for them to not lose a close game because the other team kicked, you know, five field goals against them and one of them was 63 yards. Yeah. Um, it really is. These defenses are both really one-sided. Minnesota is sixth against the pass, 29th against the run. Uh, the Chargers fell a bit against the pass last week, but they're still ninth against the pass, 32nd against the run. Um, the Vikings offense has not been that good running the ball, right? Dalvin Cook has put up fantasy points, but they're only 26th in DVOA running. So there's a chance to get Cook really on schedule and, and have a big game until, you know, before the off-field stuff comes and who knows. We, I You know, I have no idea what's going to happen with the Cook off-field stuff at this point. No. Let's not pretend we know anything about that as that keeps developing under our feet. Yeah. One of the reasons the Chargers' pass defense might have dropped last week is that they were without both Asante Samuel and Michael Davis. So the Eagles could take advantage of that in some. Definitely. It looks like Samuel will be back, the early stories. Uh, Michael Davis won't be, so at least they'll be closer to full strength there. And the flip is the Vikings' pass defense looks better in DVOA than it truly is because they've lost their best pass rusher for the year in Daniel right. Hunter. Right. So we should at least acknowledge that that the Vikings are not that good. They're only 13th in the, you know, the DVOA versus receivers. If you add up all five receivers, they're only 13th, which means a lot of the quality of their pass defense has been the pass rush. Right. Causing sacks, causing passes with no intended receiver and stuff. And um, now with Hunter out for the year, that's not going to be as good as it was before. Right. Another thing that happened is that Edge Sports put out their coaching rankings and Brandon Staley because of his uh fourth mainly because of his fourth down decision making had the highest highest ranking of all the coaches in the NFL in terms of that kind of leverage situational play calling there's no question if this gets down to leverage fourth downs I trust Staley way more than I trust Mike Zimmer right right and it could because it's a Vikings game it's going to come down to the fourth quarter and and you know uh four minutes left yeah uh, so CCCX3 says cornerback Campbell, I believe, was also playing hurt for the Bolts, and one of their depth cornerbacks told his, tore his ACL in-game. That's very Chargers. So that was a problem last week. Yeah. Right, right. Well, what were you going to say, Brian? Oh, just uh, about the Vikings uh, always being in a competitive game in the fourth quarter. I think ESPN was the one who put out, tweeted out a, uh, a chart of – how much time each team has spent with a 90% chance to win and a 10% chance to win. And the Vikings just were nothing in the middle. They have they have been in a competitive game up to the last second in pretty much every single matchup they've had this season. And yeah. so they've a certain extent. <laughs> if you look at their scores this year, even though they are 3-5, and five, let's see. 3-1-13-7-2-6-4-3. Yeah. And they've won a game on like a 60 plus yard field goal. And haven't they also lost a game on a 60 plus yard field goal? And yep. they're one and two in overtime. They've had three different overtime games out of uh, uh, out of eight. Yep. It's on one hand heartbreaking. On the other hand, it's kind of hilarious if you like to like troll Vikings fans, yep. which I do. So, you know, I find it entertaining. Chargers are 31st against tight ends. So this could be a big Tyler Conklin game. <laughs> God. Vikings are 28th against second wide receiver. I don't know whether that's a thing about whether they use their best cornerback to cover. Uh, and I don't know who counts as the second wide receiver for the Chargers anyway. Like that's a team where it's hard to tell who's the one. Like between Keenan Alley and Mike Williams, there was all that talk at the beginning of the year that this was now the Joe Lombardi running the offense and that Mike Williams was essentially in the Mike Thomas role, but then we've gone through three or four weeks where Mike Williams did not have a lot of passes. So right. it right. makes me feel like Keenan Allen, like if, if you had a corner who followed the opponent's best receiver, I feel like you'd put that guy on Keenan Allen. It might be a matchup situation too, where I might want to big and fast on Williams, but like experience on, uh, Keenan Allen. By the way, the, the props for Tyler Conklin, since you brought that up, 
The over is 35.5. I don't love that because he's Tyler Conklin, not you know anybody I care about. But yeah. the over-under on receptions is 3.5 for Tyler Conklin. So if yeah. you like deep dive props based on that tight end, I might take the over-under on receptions because that little boot pass and, and toss is such a bread-and-butter staple play for the Vikings. The um, the corners, pa- Patrick Peterson is, I guess, on IR now. So I guess their number one corner is Brashad Breland. And then also Mackenzie Alexander and Cameron Dantzler as the nickel. Wow. They're getting a lot out of the pass. Rush. Really good pass defense, despite yeah. the fact that those are their corners. Right. They're getting a lot out of their pass rush. Uh, they're getting a lot out of having faced Jared Goff, Sam Darnold. Um, so, you know, there's there's part of that. Cooper. Um, so how do you guys feel about this one? It is a Chargers minus three. I'm taking the Chargers. I do not have any faith in the Vikings. Uh, the Chargers, I know our system's been down on them all year, but I think they've been overly down on them all year. I think the Chargers are just a significant better team. And with uh, assuming Samuel comes back and the secondary issues are at least somewhat alleviated, I just don't see the Vikings being able to do all that much against them. Right. And, and the coaching factor, I just watched Staley fourth and one, fourth and one, fourth and one, get down the field to be a spry Eagles team. That's exactly how you beat. That's how you beat the Vikings. You wait until the end of the game where they get the third and fifteen, and they throw the five-yard pass. They punt the ball to you, and then you matriculate down the field and beat them. I've never have any faith in the Vikings, so I'm leaning on the Chargers. I'm going with our numbers. I would say right. Vikings plus three. Okay. Um, I, if it was less than that, I would go Chargers. I think, but I think uh, getting the plus three, I think I like. I feel like. Look, the fact is the Vikings' offense is better than anybody thinks always like no matter what like Kirk Cousins is just he's better than people think partly because he has Jefferson and Thielen but he always does well and keeps games close and so you know I'll bet on another close game and maybe they pull it out maybe they lose by three but there's a difference any given week between saying the Vikings are going to go and do that versus at the beginning of the season, they're going to go do it 17 times and be anything other than what they always are. Those are two different things. Yeah. It makes sense that they can do it this week. I'm not super confident that they're going to lose versus saying that's their, that's their Avenue to victory to the Super Bowl is to do that every week and to come out on top. Well, no, the Vikings are built like a team to, they're built to win a wild card Yep. and not like the Patriots. The Patriots are built to win a wild card on their way up with the young quarterback. The Vikings are built to win a wild card every freaking year. Yep. Yep. That's it. As expensively as possible. Um, All right. The game I'm going to be at, my first visit to Allegiant Stadium, assuming everything gets approved with the Raiders. I'm still waiting to hear. Kansas City at Las Vegas at 8 p.m. Kansas City makes the playoffs in 70% of Sims where they win, 37% when they lose. Las Vegas, 63% when they win, and 31%. If they lose, like despite all the problems that Kansas City has had on offense over the last five weeks, uh, DVOA is still not impressed by the Raiders this year and has Kansas City as the higher team for this season. Like not even counting the question of like, you know, based on projections going into the season, do we believe that Kansas City is better than what they've shown so far and is likely going to bounce back a little bit? I think we all kind of believe that. Like even if just looking at this year, Kansas City, it sees Kansas City as a little bit better. And the line also sees Kansas City as a little bit better. It's Kansas City minus two and a half. It yeah, is hard. so hard to judge Las Vegas right now with everything that's going on. This, yeah. is, this, this month has been the craziest month I can remember for any team, you know, yeah. since maybe Hurricane Katrina. That might be the last time you had a team that faced wow. so much struggle and stress in one month. I, I don't – I'm I'm surprised they're doing as well as they are, quite frankly, because it seems like this is such an incredible, so many incredible mental hurdles week after week after week to get over from Gruden to Rugs to now Damon Arnett. And just, mm-hmm. I I have no idea what to make of the Raiders right now. They're just under so much mental and emotional stress. I, I felt like the Giants' loss was the lookout below game, and it's not just because well you know distractions and things like that, which I think me- are meaningful at this point. Mm-hmm. But when you're going down the field and settling for field goals over and over again against a weak team, and I believe their red zone DVR, I don't have it in front of me, I believe it's like 25th or 26th, um, that's a sign that you're missing your coach who's a good game planner and a good situational play caller. 
Okay, you're missing him at this point. Uh, I think they're third down DVOA. I think Aaron is going and looking. At- 26th in the red zone. Yep. Yep. And, it's and in the- third down is 26th. Right, right. Again, you're missing that situational play caller. You also had an interception where they're trying to go down the field to Zay Jones. They're not going down the field to Henry Ruggs. They're going down the field to Zay Jones, and it gets picked off. And the throw. I don't know if Deshaun Jackson is ready yet. Right. Once he, you know, he'll yeah, he'll run streak routes. There's not going to be any like timing between him and Carr. You know, so a lot of what I saw last week was like, hey, you know, the Chiefs played the Giants, and the Giants said, here, here's a win, and the Chiefs in all their discombobulation said, yeah, we'll take the win. We can move down the field. The Raiders couldn't take that win when the Giants tried to hand it to them. Uh, I will point out one positive for v- Vegas is they uh, Carr is fourth in DVOA on passes over the middle. And well, Kansas City is getting killed by yeah. passes over the middle, 31st. <laughs> the Sorensen factor. Uh, the Sorensen factor is definitely part of it. But even short middle, their linebackers are struggling on those passes in the short middle. Right. Um, both teams, by the way, also are not that good against tight ends, and both tight ends are awesome. So Ooh, I got to see if there's a prop. I can see for that. a lot of tight end. Yeah, I'm sure the props are fittingly high, though. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think both teams are going to be able to move the ball. Um, I'm just like having a hard time looking at the Raiders and saying, yeah, this is the team that's going to exploit all the mistakes the Chiefs are making. Like this the is the over under is 51 and a half. Yeah, that's high, but manageable. Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller, over 149.5 combined, plus 110. So over 150, Kelsey and Waller combined. You taking it? Yes. Yeah. All right. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. In your Especially honor. with the plus 110. All right. In your honor. Get a little bit on it. In your honor, I will be doing that pick. I like that pick. Uh, special teams, also a big difference between these teams. Chiefs are number one in special teams. Vegas is 26th. Ooh. So, again, I mean, you know, look, the thing about special teams is that they're, A, inconsistent, and, B, they tend to swing on a single play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's more likely that Kansas City has that play, but there's always a chance that a bad special teams just puts a really big, good play together. But on just the general field position, he kick off and punch stuff and getting kicking field goals. Kansas City has been a lot better than Vegas this year. Right. They've got Mecole on returns. He's good. I think they're punting. Right. Butker. Tommy Townsend, the pinball. Yeah. Worker, you know. So. At the same time, you know, the Chiefs did only score 13 points last week against the, yeah. against the Green Bay team. That Keep waiting for them yeah. to snap out of it. Like. Keep waiting for them to snap out of it. Like, keep saying, longer-term data is more predictive than short-term data. Longer-term data is more predictive than short-term data. They're going to snap out of it, and it keeps not happening. And Bill Houston points out, and this is true, the Chiefs' defense has quietly trended towards average, and Ingram looks solid. That's uh, Melvin Ingram, now a a pass rusher for them. Raiders would benefit from an organization-wide civics lesson. I mean, most of us know that driving 150 miles an hour drunk is bad. Doing the myriad of things Damon Arnett did was bad. I, every once in a while, these things snowball at once. This is just uh, significant. I like the idea, Aaron, that you're going to be in that press box up there, and they're going to be struggling offensively. You're going to be like, come on, Kansas City. Just... <laughs> Joey Sucks says, have you considered that Andy Reid is out to get me? No, I don't think – I think Andy Reid would much rather have his offense work than get me. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. High on um, priority list is revenge vendetta against you personally. Yeah, I don't think Andy Reid may not even know who I am for all I know. I don't know. Maybe Mike Frazier is his stat guy, and I know Mike, so maybe yeah, Mike's talking right. about right. uh, So, what do you guys think? I would take Kansas City. It is a two and a half right now. I would go because I still feel like their <laughs> offense is going to break out of this at some point. I would go Kansas City minus two and a half. I think I'm going to have to do the same thing just because I do not know what to expect from the Raiders right now. The way they've actually been playing on the field, I would take the Raiders, but there's just so much going going on with them. I have to take the Chiefs. And you're right. Eventually, the Chiefs are going to be the Chiefs, right? I mean, that's- yeah. Yeah. 
this game broke both of you. I'm 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 blown away. <laughs> you're you're, Chiefs you're that broken. your hair in the air and he's losing his mind. I'm just going with the Chiefs. I'm comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with it. Hitchhiker's Pie says, are there any precedents of dominant quarterbacks going through such a funk like Peyton Manning in 2001, perhaps? I have to go do research and look at like past quarterbacks who had like a string of five games that were as down as what Patrick Mahomes has done. There aren't a lot of quarterbacks who before that were as up as Mahomes and also who were as immune to just random bad games. Right. Like he was immune to random bad games, and now he's had like four or five of them in a row. Right. So I think, I, Rivers, I, I think Philip Rivers had a stretch there for a few years where everything just kind of fell off. But that's that's not not even quite the same thing. That's more he had a weird late season, a late career resurgence thing. I can't imagine. I can't remember anyone who just looked so mediocre for a month and a half after looking like you know Schumann for Canton after his first season kind of guy. I remember doing a lot of what's wrong with Aaron Rodgers radio stings a few years ago, but it never looked like this. It was just like, it was flatness. And I think also when, when Tom Brady struggled in the second half of 2019, it was very much explained away as it's the team around him. Right. Rather, you know, there was a thought like, well, maybe Brady is losing it a little bit, but not like what's going on with Mahomes. I think there was a lot more of it's the team around him than it was that it was Brady. Right. So, um, right. And we I, mean, get- I have to do research to find a similar stretch, but partly that's just because there's never been anybody as good. I mean, it would have to be like a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees stretch. Right. And if you go back too far in history, the interception rates go up. Even if you go back about 15 years, the interception rates go up, and you'll find, oh, he threw two interceptions in this game and one in this game. It wasn't unusual, yeah. even at the start of like Brady's career. Hitchhiker's Pie says, I've made Mahomes to Warner illusions in the past, and that's what this reminds me of, although Warner obviously got injured and fumbled everything in 2002, so there was more of an explanation. Yeah, Warner had injuries in 2002 when he fell off. Right. Um, And I think, yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit. Elway had some down years. Elway's good years were never as good as Mahomes. Right. Uh, It's it's very apples to oranges going back to Elway – in that Dan Reeves offense in the mid 1980s and how, you know, as great as he was, it was this weird game managery thing he was expected to do going through them statistically is like, and comparing them to, to the current is almost like uh, un- undoable. Um, let's do uh, one more game, which is Monday night, the Rams at San Francisco Rams make the playoffs 99% if they win 89% if they lose. I think we have their current odds wrong in the graphic. I think that might be the chargers current odds. Uh, San Francisco, 44% if they win, 17% if they lose. And I, I did note this in the DVOA article this week, that the San Francisco rating is a bit artificially high because it thinks that they played Arizona this week. It thinks they played Arizona this week and not Colt McCoy. Um, that being said, I still think San Francisco is better than people realize. They've played a hard schedule. They've had bad fumble luck. The offense has worked this year, right? It's the offense didn't play backup Cardinals this week. Mm-hmm. Like it was the defense that played the backup Cardinals this week and looked like ass and then um, got a, a happy opponent adjustment that it really shouldn't have gotten. But that's not what's the situation with the offense. That's exactly right. And if the game against the Cardinals also was something of a snowball game because two of the Niners' first four drives ended with fumbles. One of them was on like the eight-yard line. If those if those uh, those drives continued without the fumbles or if they recovered the fumbles, I, Niners still would have lost. Don't get me right because the defense was terrible. But the, it wouldn't have been quite such a spread. And I think there'd be a little more uh, peace in the Niners' fandom this week. Because currently, <laughs> on, oh, who's going to be coaching the Niners next year? Now's going to be fire, fire Kyle Shanahan. Right. That's been the that's been the topic. It's like. No, no, guys, <laughs> take, take a step back. They are game out of the out of the playoffs because the NFC is terrible. There's right. time to turn things around. They need to turn things around, and they need to do it now. And we said yesterday on the show, I think we talked about this, if they fired Kyle Shanahan, he would be snapped up within a week and a half. Immediately. Immediately. Because yeah. the problem isn't Kyle Shanahan the coach. The problem at the moment is Kyle Shanahan the personnel manager and evaluator. He's like the, the Niners' first four picks this year in this year's draft are Trey Lance, Aaron Banks, Trey Sermon, and Ambry Thomas. They have played a combined zero snaps on offense and defense in the last three weeks. I think Thomas has gotten in on special teams a couple of times. Hmm. So this all these all these players that they keep bringing in 
aren't doing anything. They brought in Josh Norman. He's been a disaster. They just Sh- Shanahan. His play design is fine. His play design is fine. His, co- his game his game management could be a little better. He doesn't go front and fourth down for, for as much as my liking and so on. But his personnel management has been terrible. He always has these mid round, uh, you know, emotional support third string running backs that he keeps drafting. <laughs> it feels at the moment like they don't have a plan. And that's that's what that's what hurts most as a Niners fan. It's like, okay, so they've lost a couple games. They got punched about a couple times. What to do next? And the what to do next is still way up in the air at this point in time. And so he's so Shanahan has lost a lot of faith. Uh, a lot of a lot of the, a lot of the fans have, are beginning to sour on him, which is too early because they, they went to the Super Bowl two years ago. He's a still a good coach, mm-hmm. but the, the, the as as a personnel manager as a GM, they've got to they've got to show something soon. El Salerno says, do you think Shanahan is over his head as a head coach with so much management power? I think the problem is that he is wanted so much as a head coach for his schematic abilities that wherever he goes, they're going to have to give him so much management power. And him and Lynch. Even if he were to get fired by the 49ers and go to another team, I feel like there'd be enough of a battle for him that they would have to give him this much management power. I think him and Lynch are working like this. I don't think it's a friction thing. So some of that personnel stuff is the Shanahan-Lynch combination, not yeah. so much Shanahan barking orders to like an, an underling. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it is a team, but it is Shanahan, I think, very much who is calling the the the, uh, the primary shots there. I mean, I don't think Lynch is doing anything that Shanahan's not not 100% on board with. Right, right. By the way, Aaron, you talked about fumble luck, and, and Brian just mentioned fumbles. Uh, is it something like re- opponent repu- – uh, fumble recoveries for the uh, 49ers, like really, really rough. It's like a. Like uh, yeah, one. they've had most of their fumbles have been recovered by the opponents. Right, right. And that's another thing that kind of tilts it. I don't think that this past game, like you said, I think it was, still would have been a loss, but it would have tilted another direction. I don't recall off the top of my head, but there's probably a game in there where it tilted on on, on that fumble situation. Maybe the Colts yeah. game. They've had those games. I mean, the Colts game was just freaking right. weird. Bomb cycling. Yeah. Um. So, uh, interesting sort of looking at some scheme. Their defense is very unbalanced. It's 25th against the pass, but 6th against the run. Mm-hmm. Strong against tight ends and running backs. Struggles against wide receivers. That's bad. Uh, good against short passes. Very bad against deep passes. Bad against the Rams. Yep. Um, there's a good battle here between the Rams offensive line, which is fourth in both adjusted line yards and adjusted sack rate, and the San Francisco defensive front, which is fifth in both adjusted line yards and adjusted sack rate. Yeah, that's one of the things that, that the Rams had troubles with against the Titans. Uh, Stafford took four sacks. They got, he got punched in the mouth, which is not what's happened with the Rams all season long. So if that's no, I don't know if that's a blueprint that the other teams are going to follow because yeah. hey, without sacking yeah, the quarterback, a good thing to do, you know. <laughs> but like the, the Titans got there without blitzing a lot too. So if the Niners could do that, then they have a chance in the game. But I, I mean, the Rams also laid an egg last week, but it's a much smaller. That's a chicken egg compared to the uh, Niners ostrich egg that they laid. And <laughs> I just don't think that I think the Rams are going to bounce back more than more than the 49ers are at the moment. I have more faith in them on, on the bounce back. Yeah, I, I will say the FO plus numbers, I'll give away an FO plus pick here, like San Francisco slightly, mm. but I'm with you. I think if I was forced to pick this game, I would go with Rams minus four. It's down to 3.5, so it's, it's uh, Rams minus 3.5 at the moment. I would really like Rams minus 3.5, yes. Yeah, and I like Rams minus 3.5. I, for the 49ers, I needed to be up at about five and a half or six. And I probably would have jumped on it because I think the fumble luck is a thing. I think what you discussed is a thing. And Garoppolo's 4-0 against the Rams. You know, magic thinking coming through here. Right. There you yeah. go. Let's, yeah, let's go with that. But well, uh, I, th- I think one of the things I've got a first half play in, I think the, 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 the 49ers are going to keep it close in the first half because the, the, um, the Rams are slow starters. We saw that, obviously, against the Titans. Um, and the 49ers are another team that generally is moving the ball well in the first half. Uh, but after that, I think the Rams are going to pull away in the second half. Well, Salerno says, who's playing, Lance or Garoppolo? It's Garoppolo. It's Garoppolo. It's Garoppolo. And it will be Garoppolo apparently for the rest of the way. The, which <laughs> – That's – Okay, sure. Yeah, to be fair, Garoppolo had a very good game against the Cardinals. A lot of, Some of it was in garbage time, but he, he made some – he actually made some deep throws. Like I've been asking him to do – all season long, mm-hmm. and he, look, he looked good against the Bears. He's on 
that's that's kind of ironic thing. Garoppolo has finally gotten back to his 2019 levels of, you know, this will work for the offense. Mm-hmm. And now the cornerbacks have collapsed. So <laughs> I do feel like if they lose another game and they go to three and six, I know that it's a close wild card race in the NFC, but it's time to figure out what you have with Trey. Like it's time to find give give the rookie some playing time. If they're if you're three and six and you're mostly out of the playoffs, yeah, right. The, right. the 49- That's nothing against Garoppolo. No. To make the playoffs, the Niners ha- have to basically beat uh, the Rams, Seahawks, or Titans at least once. They play the Rams twice, so they need to have a chance that if they be if they win one of those games, they could get to nine and. Uh, uh, Eight. Nine and eight, because they they still have the, the uh, Texans and the Jaguars, and they have some bad things come up. But they at this point they have to be a good team, and if not now, then when? Right, and they're built right now that they can support Trey Lance. They have a good offensive line overall. They've got playmakers. He can dink and dunk and be successful, etc. So yeah, the, the time has to come pretty soon if they officially fall out of this race. Thank you for your comment, Joey. Sucks, fellows on video and in chat. You are all the best. I think our viewers are the best. I love you all. Thank you for watching the show. Uh, Scott Spratt will be here tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern to talk fantasy football. Uh, we're here, don't forget, every weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern talking football. Uh, I'm going to be on a little mini vacation for the next couple of days, so I'll, I'll see you guys again next Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike will be on the shows Monday and Wednesday of next week. Brian, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Good luck to the Niners this week. So, I mean, funny thing is, we're, we're all, we're all, we all, including David, we're all picking against our teams this week, but we all yeah. wish them good luck. We all want to be wrong. I've only gotten one Niners game right so far this season. So I'm picking the Rams on a double reverse, triple jinx going on here. Come on. I'm, I'm picking the Broncos. Why not? The Eagles stink. Let's roll with it. You know, I'm picking, <laughs> I'm not picking the Browns against the Patriots. What are you yeah. going to do? All right, folks, enjoy Thursday night football tonight. Scott Spratt will be here tomorrow at 1 p.m. Have a good day.